Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, two Mondays ago, that uh, we were rocked by the news from uh, General Motors that they were shutting down not just the Oshawa plant, but a number of plants, four other plants, I guess it was, uh, south of the border. Uh, President Trump uh, reacted to that, as he does to everything. Uh, but a great deal of consternation, obviously, because of the economic impact that it's going to have, not just in those particular communities, but in the greater auto industry. Uh, and you got to wonder what, what's going to happen. What are going to happen to those plants? Are they going to retool them? We, there's so many questions. So uh, this weekend, along comes Elon Musk. Uh, and uh, apparently he has, in an interview, expressed interest in those uh, soon-to-be-abandoned GM plants uh, to start building Teslas. We know that market shares are up a little bit, but that much to make that kind of an investment? Joining us to talk about this is Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University here in Hamilton. Morning, Marvin. How are you doing today? I am fine, thank you, Bill. Uh, Elon Musk is going to be the savior of the auto industry and savior of these plants. Uh, uh, were you surprised by it? It was really just musing. I mean, this is not a business proposal at this stage. Well, first, let's, let's put this in context for your listeners. Uh, Mr. Musk was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and uh, Leslie Stahl, who conducted the interview, was primarily talking to him about his erratic behavior earlier this summer in July and August when at one point he, he was on a podcast uh, smoking marijuana, which in that place at that time was perfectly illegal to be doing, and then musing about different things. She also wanted to talk to him about the Securities and Exchange Commission who came after Mr. Musk for a tweet he made talking about taking his company private by buying the shares for $420 apiece, and then a few weeks later saying, oh, I was just kidding, I don't really have the money for it. And they said this isn't the way a chair of a company should be behaving. So they actually forced him out as chair of Tesla. That was really the purpose of the interview. So as she's going along, she asks, she says, by the way, we just had this story a couple of weeks ago about GM. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? And he said, well, maybe we should buy one of those plants or maybe a couple of those plants. And in fairness, it's not an absolutely crazy idea. Tesla's current manufacturing facility is a former GM plant that he purchased. Uh, he, uh, this was a plant that was owned jointly by GM and Toyota. They walked away from it in California. So he picked it up for, I think it was $43 million is what he paid for it back in 2011. He's done well enough at that plant that they actually have a second assembly line today housed in a tent, in a tent nearby, uh, quite an amazing tent, but nonetheless a tent, a temporary structure. And so it does seem that if they are to meet all of these orders they're getting for Teslas, they really need some more bricks and mortar operations. Therefore, it's not a crazy idea. And also, you know, if he could buy it for something on that order, 43, 50, even $100 million, it would be a lot cheaper than Tesla building it from scratch. Having said that, though, this isn't like he'd spent any great amount of time uh, deeply thinking about it, uh, you know, doing, doing things like this. He was just off-the-cuff remarks, and I think we in Canada, again, we're often so desperate for good news, we'll misinterpret those off-the-cuff remarks. Mr. Musk is famous for musing about a lot of things, many of which he never follows through. Well, yeah, we'll get into that in a second. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the market shares, and it's not as if Tesla's going to skyrocket to the top. But, but for instance, I know somebody who wanted to purchase one, Marvin, and, and they were told, and this is just uh, anecdotal information, this is what an eight- or nine-month wait for delivery on these things. So, I mean, they're, they're taking their time building them, and I know that they're very proud of the product that they're putting out there, but they're not into the mass production unit like the other ones are just yet, and you got to wonder what that's going to do to their market share. Right. Well, the, the key word there was just yet. 
Um, Mr. Musk, for instance, last year at one point said we're trying to ramp up to 300,000 cars a year. That would be more than the GM plant in uh, uh, Oshawa was making. GM in its most recent year likely to be 100,000 Impalas. So 300,000 certainly would be economical for them to buy the facility. Mr. Musk's problem is he's not a production-oriented guy. He's He's an ideas guy. And so when he comes out and says, well, 300000 then we all rush out to buy one of these things, and then we face this nine-month wait time, because what he wants to deliver versus what he can deliver are two quite different things. Uh, I, I had felt for some time that if they could get a more, more of a car person in there, let Mr. Musk be the technology guy tinkering away in the workshop or in the lab, and get someone in there who can actually then translate the ideas into reality, they'd be well-served. Uh, as it is now, nothing has changed, Bill. Your friend is absolutely right. There's still a, an eight- to nine-month waiting list, not necessarily because the orders are so high, but because they're just so terribly slow at making cars. I think for this to be truly economical, they've got to ramp up production, get them out the door much faster. So to do that, obviously, you have to look at these sorts of facilities. But my understanding, and of course we don't even know all the details on this, is that when GM finally does shut the door on these plants, uh, and anybody were to purchase them, all they're going to get is the four walls. I mean, they're going to strip those places, aren't they? Yeah, I would think to the greatest extent possible. The equipment inside, which is reconfigurable, reprogrammable, I would think GM is going to take a look at reallocating it among their existing facilities. Uh, this is a bit like if you remember here in Hamilton when uh, the Lakeport Brewing operation was sold to Labatt, we all went, oh, good, you know, Labatt's going to move in there and make beer, and instead Labatt came in, stripped out most of the manufacturing equipment, put it at other places, and then left an absolutely empty shell here and didn't make any beer. It took a third party to come in, but they had to start from ground one. Same thing would happen with Mr. Musk. I'm pretty sure there might be a few things, you know, obviously they've got four walls, they've got a parking lot, they have the potential to put in equipment, and even that, the building lease is configured correctly for that kind of thing. But in terms of him getting an, an operational assembly line or even a quasi-operational assembly line, I doubt that would be what GM would leave him. Well, you, you talked about retooling. And, and then again, let's go down that hypothetical road for yep. just a couple of seconds. And even if it's not the Oshawa plant, any one of these other GM plants that, that are scheduled to be shut down. Uh, I mean, this is a different technology. Can they can they use some of this stuff? Can they adapt this? I mean, to, to build a Tesla is a little bit different than, uh, than building, I was going to say, the Impala. Yeah, so you're you're not you're not wrong, but the whole idea about this uh, uh, today's assembly lines is that they are to be flexible manufacturing, meaning that the computers and the robots can be reprogrammed to do other things. They don't have to put, you know, a spark plug in a, an engine. They can put some other device into the engine or or build another part of the car altogether. So you know it can be done. Now it normally takes six months to a year to reprogram all of this and line it all up, and then you have to do a few test runs to work out the bugs and the kinks. But they could be reconfigured. So he's not absolutely crazy in this at all. But I just worry that, um, and this, again, is quite famous. You know, normally a CEO of a company would be quite cagey in their responses because every word they say get parsed by the market, and the market says, oh, I guess Musk wants to buy GM factories. I'm not sure I would take that away. He didn't rule out the idea but it also didn't sound like he'd been actively pursuing anything or had put any proposal in front of Mary Barra, the CEO of GM. Well, I, it's interesting to note the reaction to some of the uh, statements that Musk made, and especially when it came to this. I know Jerry Dice, the president of Unifor, is just saying, yeah, I'm not holding my breath. Oh, well, isn't that, isn't that delightful? I was expecting the opposite from Jerry. He's been so desperate to keep 
uh, the plant open and keep jobs there, that he would welcome him with open arms. And again, Mr. Musk, uh, you know, if he's willing to come in and if he's willing to have unionized workers, in the case of the California plant that he acquired, I believe the, the joint venture had a name like NIMO or something like that, N-I-M-M-O. Those workers were unemployed for nearly a year, but Tesla has brought many of the former GM workers in California back to work in their plant. This could be, if, if Mr. Musk was interested in taking the white hat and being a hero, this could be a very heroic move for him if he wanted to. But I'd also point out that uh, Tesla is a company in which the shares are traded. Shareholders, stakeholders have an interest in this. It isn't just Mr. Musk just throwing his own personal money around. Now it's a corporation where there are other shareholders at play. If the board were to properly assess this and properly consider this, and I'm sure knowing the Ontario and Canadian governments that we would have some, um, what word do I'm looking for here, sort of financial incentives or, or low-interest loans to help with the transition, we would be thrilled to have a Tesla car company anywhere in Canada, let alone Oshawa. So this this could all be done, but we need him to be more serious than he was with Leslie Stahl. All right, but let's let's talk about venturing north of the 49th parallel here, okay? Uh, I know that a lot of people in the industry will tell us about how efficient the Oshawa plant is, and you know it's 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 supposed to be one of the jewels, I guess, when it comes to auto manufacturing. But given some of the rhetoric coming out of the White House and and the the rather acrimonious discussions uh, about uh, the the new NAFTA deal that's yet to be ratified, of course. Uh, would Musk even risk something like that? Does he want to set up shop and, and invest lots, millions of dollars, obviously, into an Oshawa plant and then have to face things like tariffs and a number of other things? Would not the, the path of least resistance and simply say, no, I'm staying down here in the States? Well, so correct, absolutely correct. Everything you just said there is correct. With one, one little thing, though, is that Mr. Musk and Mr. Trump don't get along. This is often the case with some, some billionaires that uh, how you make your money and how I make my money is quite different. Um, so I think there is an opportunity to at least suggest to him, as we did with Mr. Bezos, uh, and I think I, I'll take him as word, Mr. Bezos, who was considering where to put Amazon's HQ2, did take a serious look at Toronto. But I'd always felt it was a, a little uphill battle because Mr. Bezos himself bought something called the Washington Post newspaper and had just built a multi-million dollar home in Washington. Therefore, I'm not surprised that HQ2 went to Washington rather than Toronto. But he did take a look. I think it's worth the conversation. I, I think a small investment of time and energy could pay off big. But no, I don't think Mr. Trump upsets him. Remember, Mr. Tesla's not looking at just two years or three years down the road, but five or ten years down the road. By then, there'd be another president because you can only do two terms in the White House. Um, also, I think he is interested in uh, Canada's access to world markets, and he likes much what he's hearing from Justin Trudeau about world trade. And even if Tesla were to come here, remember that we signed a deal with the United States that as long as a certain number of cars were produced in Canada and shipped to the United States, there wouldn't be any tariffs involved. The level that we agreed to is above current production, and that would even include the production that we're losing in GM, so that would actually go down. If he took it back up and went a little above it, he really wouldn't run any risk of retaliatory tariffs. So I don't think, I don't think Trump's going to enter into the picture at all here. Well, there's always that concern about what policy is going to dictate and how this is going to happen. Uh, you, you mentioned about the fact that this is—he's the visionary, okay? Uh, yep. Elon Musk is the—he's—he's uh, he's the right side of the brain guy. Uh, you need somebody like a Lee Iacocca, I guess, if we want to go all the way back to the, the guy that rescued Chrysler back in the early 1980s. Uh, any of them kicking around looking for work? 
Well, uh, well, there's there's two questions. That's one. Is there anyone looking for work? And two, would any of them work for him? Uh, you know, again, I'm of the opinion that uh, even dyed-in-the-wool people might find a way to work with the very creative types, but that might not be their first inclination. They'd probably rather work with people more like themselves, the engineering types. Um, so, yes, certainly, absolutely. GM and other c- companies have had some uh, some people take early retirements, uh, 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 the, there's lots of very capable people around. You could even pluck one away from another company. You could take uh, take the president of GM Canada, who came here from Australia, where he had a lot of experience internationally. There are lots of those people around. But again, the question, would Mr. Musk, A, have the vision to hire them, and B, would he then give them the power? One of the problems that entrepreneurs have is they often want someone to manage the day-to-day operations, the the boring stuff, the stuff that they don't have any interest in, but then will they empower them? So if I'm the CEO of the company, really in charge of running things, but Mr. Musk keeps interfering on a day-to-day basis, I'm not going to stay there very long. I need you to go away. You can think of the relationship that Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft, had with Bill Gates. They had a very simple deal. Bill, you stay in the lab, you invent new things, come up with toys, come up with things for us, and I'll run the plant, quote-unquote. And they worked very well together. But if you asked uh, uh, Mr. Gates about this, he, he would, his temptation on many days was to march into the office and tell, well, Steve, I wouldn't have done that that way, and I wouldn't do that that way, but that's not your job anymore. So he learned over time to back off. But temperamentally, Bill Gates is quite different than Elon Musk. So at this stage, based on the comments that he made during the 60 Minutes interview, I mean, this is an interesting story, and right. it's it's, it's kind of nice to, to muse about it a little while, but obviously he doesn't seem to be serious about it, and this may be a one-day story, we don't know about that, uh, which might, by the way, I, I would think, uh, explain some of Jerry Dice's remarks when uh, he said he doesn't put a whole lot of weight into what Musk was saying. Uh, Dice is still of the opinion, and he's on the record again yesterday as saying, the only solution to Oshawa is General Motors ramping a production up there again, at some point, hopefully in the near future. Uh, is is he just, uh, you know, whistling Dixie here? Because, I mean, most people think that that's just not going to happen. Yeah, so I will say GM has been, um, shall I say, clever in their communications on this, Bill. The comment from everyone is, we have no product assigned to Oshawa uh, as of 2020, meaning that as they have planned what they're going to produce and where they're going to produce it, there's been nothing assigned uh, and therefore, that's why we're letting all the workers get a one-year notice that we're going to be letting them go at the end of 2019. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that plans don't change. They've said that part of this is to allow them to uh, think about self-driving vehicles and electric vehicles, but they don't have any of that product to make in 2020. Conceivably, conceivably, it's not absolutely crazy. Over the next 12 months, GM's plans could evolve some more, and they would say, okay, yeah, now we do have a product that we want to introduce to the market, but we're not going to build it until 2021 or maybe 2022. And so rather than uh, uh, just just uh, take all the pieces of the GM factory in Oshawa and put them away in storage or throw them away or whatever, we're just going to mothball the plant for a year or two and then retool. And by the way, if you can find a way to bridge yourself till then, we'll be glad to welcome you back and have jobs for you at that time. That That is a possibility. And uh, if GM had simply said we're trying to save money and bank it and we don't have any other things, but instead they've said we're trying to save money so that we can build these new kinds of cars, we just don't have them designed yet, it's not an absolutely crazy assumption that they might reopen at some point. But how long? And if you're a worker, you know, waiting four months is one thing. Waiting four years for GM is something quite different. 
the sooner that, again, we can have clarity on what GM's plans are with Oshawa, uh, is it simply a mothball, is it a retooling, the better we'd all would be. Well, and, and just to put this in perspective, over the years uh, of the rather tumultuous uh, days of the auto industry here, I mean, the, the Ford Oakville plant, Marvin, has been on death's door more than once, and we thought, oh, they're going to shut the doors on that. And, and you're right, before they actually get to that time, they say, but no, no, we've changed our minds. We're going to put something different in there now. Well, also keep in mind, Bill, that these decisions are predicated on uh, what we buy, what you and I buy at, on the showroom floor. And this all began with them making a simple statement that we are not buying those sedan cars, the Impalas, like we used to. Uh, used to do a million of them, make a million and sell a million, and now it's 100,000. Conceivably, again, if consumer demand were to shift over the next few months, Either they want the cars that they make in Oshawa, or they make, want to make something else, and therefore they say, oh, okay, well, here's an opportunity. We've got this, this plant idling in, in Oshawa. Let's, let's do something with it. Any of that is possible because we consumers are fickle people. Our needs and wants are constantly evolving. Uh, so I, I just don't know, but I think I don't want to hold out false hope for people that there is some imminent white knight to ride over the hill here. GM made a very difficult announcement. You don't make these announcements lightly or trivially. You know, you you realize you're affecting tens of thousands of workers across North America with this kind of an announcement. So, uh, you know, it isn't so much just to stand by. At this point, our best thinking is that plant is closing. I I mean, the reality here to change customers, uh, you know, influence in in what we want to buy, well, it's probably a lot more, but the two that jumped to mind right off the bat for me uh, is all of a sudden, if, for instance, of combustion engines, if gasoline becomes so ridiculously expensive, I mean, right. if it doubles or triples overnight, yep. uh, people are going to say, I just can't do it. I'll leave this on the side of the road. I have to get something else. Or some new product comes out, and that comes back to the car companies. They, they develop something that catches our fancy and said, hey, i got to get me one of those. Yeah, we've talked before about the electric vehicles today being only 1% of the market, and that's primarily for two main reasons, the time it takes to charge them and the amount you can drive on a single charge. If those numbers were to suddenly change, if there was some magical breakthrough, it is possible to see things turn on a dime. My, my example of that, of course, is when CDs were introduced to replace vinyl albums. It was really just an 18-month transition from the old technology to the new track technology. It was absolutely incredible how fast that happened. Something like that is possible, either because the consumers, as you say, the price of gas goes up, or the company comes out with something magical, but we just don't see anything on the horizon. So other than that Hail Mary last-minute pass, I think people have to get used to the idea that, unfortunately for Oshawa, that plant is closing and there's just nothing imminent that's going to go into that space. Well, and there really hasn't been too many examples, have there, of, this, of a, a new vehicle, no. a new product that just, I mean, the K-Car, to go back to the Iacocca example. Front-wheel uh, drive, uh, which was part of the K-Car yeah. idea, front-wheel drive. Uh, the Magic Wagons, the, that sort of half-van, half-car uh, half kind of an idea, they, they took hold quite quickly. Uh, today it's the crossover vehicles that are half SUV, half car. There's certainly demand for some of those, but we don't see anything that would, would come that would automatically say to GM, I've got to build that in Oshawa. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster, of course. has a pleasure. Always th- thanks so much for this today. We'll see. I mean, you know, <laughs> these things seem to change by the end of the day, so we'll just see what happens my, next. My only hope is I hope Mr. Musk wasn't smoking marijuana before he did that interview with Leslie Stahl. If there was truth to it, God bless. Exactly. Thanks again, Marvin. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.